Amen. You may be seated. Let me just say one brief word about what we just sung. In case you may have been just slightly uncomfortable singing, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Perhaps it's not your meditation all the day. It is not mine. Often when we sing, we are singing what we aspire to be true and not necessarily what we are describing to be true. And by God's grace, by the grace of the gospel, what we aspire to can become what we actually experience in practice. So as we sing things like that, let's just remember, uh, sometimes it's description, sometimes it's aspiration, what we are affirming. But in light of the gospel, we can have hope in God's grace causing us to grow. Well, let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And I'm going to read and preach verses 6 through 8 this morning. We looked at verses 1 through 5 last Sunday evening, where Paul shared his heart for his fellow Jews. He had great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart for them. Because so many of them, despite all their privileges, had sadly rejected the Messiah. And so he longed for them to be saved. And the question he addresses in our verses this morning is, if God promised in the Old Testament to save Israel, which he did, and yet so many of Israel rejected the Messiah, does that mean that God's promise has failed? Paul answers unambiguously with a no, and we'll see how he begins to explain how that's the case, that God's promise to save Israel has not failed. In fact, none of God's promises will fail. All of them will be fulfilled. Let's open with prayer, and then we'll begin to look at these verses together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that your promises never fail. You always keep your promises. You are always true to your word. And as we look into these verses together this morning, we pray that you would help us. Help us to understand and to humbly receive all that you've given to us in these verses. And please grow our faith in the trustworthiness of your promises. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 9, reading verses 6 through 8. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Paul makes two main points here in these verses. You can see them in your sermon notes. First, God's promise hasn't failed. That's in the first part of verse 6. And then, not all children of Abraham are children of God. In the second half of verse 6 and down through verse 8. And let's dive right in. Paul says at the beginning of verse 6 there, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. It is not as though the word of God has failed. When he says the word 
of God. He's referring to the promise of God or the promises of God regarding Israel. Summarily, that God would save Israel. God had promised many times over in the Old Testament that he would save his people, the Israelites. But if many Israelites weren't saved, if many Israelites had rejected the Savior, then that begs the question, has God's promise to save Israel failed? No, Paul says here in no uncertain terms, it is not as though the word of God has failed. And he's going to go on to explain that one of the reasons he can say that God's promise to save Israel hasn't failed is because God actually never promised to save every single Israelite. He never said that every individual Israelite would be saved. From the very beginning, there was an Israel within Israel. Among the children of Abraham, for example, there was an Isaac as well as an Ishmael. Among the children of Isaac, there was a Jacob as well as an Esau. Among the people of Israel, there had always been those who believed and those who didn't believe, those who were faithful by God's grace and those who were unfaithful in their sin. The promise to save Israel was never a promise that every last one of the Israelites would be saved. So if some had rejected the Messiah, that does not mean that the word of God has failed. The unbelief of some, or even of most of the Israelites, does not mean the word of God has failed. Many of those promises have been fulfilled in the church, for one. As those promises have expanded, as it were, to include the Gentiles, to include all nations, And those promises are being fulfilled as a remnant of ethnic Israelites in each generation turns from their sins and puts their faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Paul says that it is not as though the word of God has failed. The unbelief of some in the group doesn't mean that the promises failed for all in the group. Just because some of the grapes are sour doesn't mean they're all sour. Doesn't mean you throw out the whole package of grapes. Remember what Paul said back in chapter 3? What if some of the Jews were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, he says. The faithlessness of some of the Jews does not nullify the faithfulness of God. The unbelief of some of the Jews doesn't mean that the word of God has failed. God has kept his promise to save Israel, and he will keep his promise to save Israel. He has kept his promise by saving the Gentiles, first of all, and grafting them into the olive tree. And he will keep his promise by saving a remnant of ethnic Israelites in every generation. So it is not as though the word of God has failed. The word of God will never fail. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God will never fail. Jesus himself said in Luke 16, verse 17, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And in Matthew 24, 35, 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Both God and his word are eternal. Both God and his word will stand forever and will not pass away. The likelihood of the promises of God passing away is the same as the likelihood of God himself passing away. Only if God can fail can the promises of God fail. And neither God nor his promises can or ever will fail. As we heard earlier, and Zach read the scripture reading from Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Our word can fail. Our promises can fail. But the promises of God can never fail. Pretty much everything around us can fail us. Even the people we love most can fail us because they're sinners just like us. But God will never fail us. What he has said, he will do. What he has promised, he will perform. We can trust the promises of God. We can take him at his word. We can lean our whole weight onto the promises and know that they will hold. They're not a thin sheet of ice that might break under our feet at any moment. They're a massive glacier under our feet. They won't break. They won't buckle. They won't fail. Therefore, we can be like Abraham in Romans 4. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God is able to do all he has promised us. And we can trust him. But of course we need to remember that God keeps his promises in his way. And at his time. Just because he doesn't make good on a promise right away. Or in the particular way that you want him to. Doesn't mean he's not keeping that promise. He's going to keep it in such a way and at such a time. That will bring the most glory to himself. And the most good to you in Christ It's like in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. The word of our God will stand forever. That's why we seek to build our church on the word of God. Because the word of God will stand over time and for all time. The Bible is the most reliable material to build a church with because it will never fail, it will never fade, it will never fall. Various fads and fashions come and they go. Different church growth strategies burst on the scene and then quickly fade into the background. Personalities 
and programs are rickety foundations to build on, but the Bible is reliable. The word of God is a firm foundation to build on. That's why we try to fill our worship services with scripture. That's why in our homes we we seek to read the Bible and meditate on the Bible and pray the Bible during the week in family worship and private worship. That's why we seek to follow the Bible and apply the Bible in all we do as a church, even if we don't always get it right. It's what we seek to do because the word of God will stand. Anything else we might try to build the church with or build the church on will fail and fall ultimately, but the word of the Lord will never fail. Kids and teenagers, I want to challenge you in light of all this to build the house of your life on the rock of the word, not on the sinking sand of the world. The world will tell you to build your life on many things, to build your life on money, to build your life on success, to build your life on being popular. The world will tell you to build your life around wrong views of gender and sexuality. The world will tell you to build your life on the things of the world, but it's all sinking sand. It cannot hold the weight of the house of your life, and it does not lead to eternal life. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, perhaps it's come to your mind already. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Don't build your life on the sinking sand of the world. Build your life on the solid rock of the word. Hear that word and believe that word and follow that word. And no matter what comes against you, you will not fall because your house is built on the rock of the word of God. For all of us, the fact that the promises of God will never fail I think can encourage us to simply rely on those promises every day. Every day we experience a variety of fears, don't we? But God says, fear not, for I am with you. Every day we are tempted to discouragement, but God says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Every day we feel our weakness and we know we cannot do life on our own. Even if we forget that and we try to power through in our own strength. But God says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We can rely on the promises of God every day. We can match our needs with his words. And we will find it to be true that his promises never fail. But it is is not as though the word of God has failed. 
God's promise hasn't failed, Paul says. How could he say that God's promise hasn't failed? If God promised to save his people and yet so many of his people were unsaved? Well, Paul begins to answer that in the second half of verse 6 and down through verse 8. Let's look at that now under our second main point. Not all children of Abraham are children of God. And what Paul does here is he makes basically the same point in three different ways or looked at from three different angles. First, he says in the second half of verse 6, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, not all ethnic Israelites are also spiritual Israelites. Not all who are descended from Israel physically also belong to Israel spiritually and truly. As I said earlier, from the very beginning, there was an Israel within Israel. There was an Isaac as well as an Ishmael. There was a Jacob as well as an Esau. There were those who believed and those who didn't believe. Those who were faithful and those who were unfaithful. As Paul said back in chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. So not all outward Jews are also inward Jews. It's possible to be a Jew on the outside, but not on the inside. Not everyone who puts a Yankees hat on their head in September and especially October is also a Yankees fan at heart. Not all who are descended from Israel physically also belong to Israel spiritually. The same is the case today. There's still a visible church and an invisible church today. As it says in our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25, on the church, summarizing biblical teaching on this question, the visible church consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children. The invisible church consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof. So the visible church is everyone who professes faith in Christ along with their children. The invisible church is everyone who possesses faith in Christ. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are in the visible church belong to the invisible church. Not all who are born into a Christian family are born again by the Spirit. Those who are born into a Christian family have many privileges just like the Israelites had many privileges, like we saw in verses 4 and 5. But having those privileges does not guarantee your salvation. Having those privileges doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. It's only those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ personally who are saved from their sins. Your birth certificate is not your ticket to heaven. Your ticket to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ received in the heart by faith. Parents, I think there's a takeaway here for us. 
And that is simply to talk about these things with our children. In different ways, for different ages, of course, but we should talk about this with our kids or continue to talk about this with our kids. We should help them understand that God, in his grace, has given them many privileges. Being born into a Christian family, being raised in a Christian home, being part of a Christian church, being baptized, being able to hear the gospel and the whole counsel of God on a regular basis, in the singing and the prayers and the scripture readings and the sermons, in Sunday school, being able to see examples of the faith being lived out both in the home and in the church. Imperfect examples, but godly examples of genuine faith in Christ. There are many privileges our children have and enjoy. But having those privileges from God is not enough. They must have God himself. They must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ personally for themselves Not just wearing the team jersey on the outside, but trusting in Jesus on the inside, in their hearts. It's not enough to have the privileges. They must also have a personal relationship with Christ. Not through works, but through faith alone. And as parents, we should talk to them about that. We should encourage our children to put their trust in Christ if they haven't done so already. Parents, just like in school, We wouldn't be content just to know that our kids have read a particular book. We'd also want to ask them about it. We want to see what they understood, what they learned. Did they take it in? Just because they were exposed to it doesn't mean that they understand it. Or just like when they're sick, we wouldn't be content just to put some medicine by their bedside. We'd also want to make sure they take it. So in the spiritual realm, Let's not be content just that our kids have these privileges. As wonderful as they are, let's do all we can to make sure they have the God of these privileges. Let's talk with them about making sure they have a personal relationship with Christ, with the God who graciously gave them these privileges. Of course, we cannot save our kids, and we shouldn't feel the pressure to do so but we also don't want to assume they're fine just because they're exposed to these privileges. We want to encourage them to embrace Christ personally by faith. So parents, let's talk with our kids about these things or keep talking to them about these things if you're already doing so. And let's keep praying that God will work in the hearts of all of our covenant children. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Paul makes the same point from a second angle in verse 7. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Not all are children of Abraham spiritually just because they are his offspring physically. That's what Paul's saying. Because Ishmael was Abraham's offspring physically, and yet God told Abraham, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Paul picks up on this theme in Galatians 3, verse 7, when he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That is, those 
of faith, those who put their faith in Christ, they are the true sons of Abraham, not just the physical sons of Abraham. And in verse 29 of Galatians 3, he says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If you are Christ's, if you are his by faith, then you are Abraham's offspring, his true spiritual offspring, and heirs of God according to the promise of God. So again, the promises God made to Israel in the Old Testament, those promises haven't failed because even though many of the Jews had rejected the Messiah, many of the Gentiles had received the Messiah. And some of those promises were fulfilled in the Gentiles becoming Abraham's offspring through faith in Christ. And not all the Jews rejected Christ. Some embraced Christ, like Paul. And the promises were being fulfilled in them, in that remnant of believing ethnic Israelites who were Israelites on the inside as well as on the outside. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, Paul says. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 8. I would encourage you to turn over to John chapter 8 for just a moment if you have a Bible in front of you. And if not, you can just listen. But I want you to see in John 8 how Jesus addresses some of his fellow Jews about this very thing. They claimed that they were offspring of Abraham, but they showed by their rejection of Jesus' words that they were not the spiritual offspring of Abraham. John chapter 8, verse 31, and I'll read down through verse 47, and just keep this whole concept in mind as I read. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, who had believed him, and it turns out that it was a false faith, as we'll see. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, 
He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Just let that sink in for a minute. These are offspring of Abraham physically. Jesus acknowledges that in verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. And yet, they are not the true spiritual offspring of Abraham. That's why Jesus says in the middle of verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But you're not doing the works Abraham did, so you're not Abraham's children, he's saying. So they are Abraham's offspring physically, but they're not Abraham's offspring spiritually. They are not of God. God is not their father. The devil is their father. So said Jesus, who tells the truth. Paul says all this to us in a third way in verse 8 of Romans 9. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Briefly here, it's, it's not the children of the flesh physically who are the children of God spiritually. Rather, the children of the promise are counted as the true offspring. Think of John 1, 11 through 14. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. The children of the promise are children of God. So the word of God has not failed. The promise of God has not failed. Because God never promised to save every single Israelite, every single child of Abraham, every single child of the flesh, he saved and continues to save all those who belong to Israel, all those who are children of Abraham spiritually, all those who are children of the promise, all those who receive Christ and believe in his name. One final word. In light of all this, in light of all we've seen this morning, last word. Don't rely on your privileges. Rely on God's promises. Don't rely on your privileges. Rely on God's promises. Israel had many privileges, but not all who descended from Israel belonged to Israel. Not all believed God's promise. We have many privileges as Christians but we can't rely on them. We can only rely on God's promise to save all who look to him in simple faith and trust. And God's promises, they don't just apply at the beginning of the journey, at the beginning of the Christian life. They apply 
all throughout the Christian life. Every day of the journey, every part of the journey. Every day when we wake up, we don't know what's going to happen that day. But we do know that the word of God will not fail. The promises of God will not break. They will not give way under our feet. We can stand firm on the promises. We can rely on the promises. As the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs put it, there is no condition that a godly man or woman can be in, but there is some promise or other in the scripture to help him in that condition. We can match our needs with his words. And we will find it to be true yet again that his promises never fail. Let's pray together. God, we thank you together that your promises never fail. We see that in the Bible. We see that in our own lives. And we thank you that when we wake up tomorrow morning, we can know that you're going to keep your promises yet again. Help each of us to draw the particular encouragement we need from that truth today. And help us not to rely on our privileges, but on your promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.